excited to dive in. If you've been with us the past uh, month, we've been kind of on a journey talking about uh, calling it the five dysfunctions of a family that we've all got dysfunction. But before we dive into this, this final part, I want to uh, make sure you know about a couple of things coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks. Next week, we've got very special guests. Uh, Kevin and Julia Garrett are a Canadian couple who were detained in Chinese prison for over two years um, with like some trumped up political power play charges. Um, uh, but, but they're Canadian folks. They're coming all the way down to Jacksonville, Florida to be here with us. And so we just cannot wait for next week. You'll see a trailer at the end of service today that'll tell you more about their story. But it's a great day to invite some folks out just to be encouraged and blessed and stoked about that. The following week, the, the, the Sunday right before Thanksgiving is the table. How many of you guys have ever been to the table before? The table is such a fun event. <clears throat> Like, if you're like me, I love food. I really love food. It's the way to my heart. It's my love language. And uh, we're doing Thanksgiving brunch the, the Sunday before the 18th. And so it's going to be, uh, we can't really hold everybody between two services, and we want all the kids to be in there. We can't hold everybody in this place. And so we are moving off site, and uh, you guys know how that is. At Thanksgiving, we get everybody together. You, you go out to the garage, or you go somewhere. So we're going to the garage up the road. Uh, it's actually a really nice, beautiful uh, warehouse and garden that we'll be uh, having our, our Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving table event, and we just invite you to come on out. Uh, for those of you that don't know what we do, we just, everybody brings something, kind of a brunch things. people, you RSVP on the email, and just let us know what you're bringing, bring enough for your family, for your crew, and invite people out. Like, this is a big warehouse, we can fit a lot of folks, so don't be afraid to invite somebody. Uh, they might not want to come uh, on a Sunday uh, for kind of normal church thing, but man, they want to come out and eat some food, like, who don't want to eat that? So, uh, invite them out for that, we're really looking forward uh, to that event. So, let's, <clears throat> let's dive into the today. We are wrapping up. If you've been with us on this journey, we've been kind of getting the picture. What is God, uh, what's the picture that God has for our family? Because we all come from uh, a little bit of dysfunction. Um, we, we know what that's like. If you don't think you come from dysfunction, just wait about two weeks and you'll be together and you'll be reminded there is some dysfunction there. There's um, and Pastor Jeremy, when he, he was here at the beginning of uh, the month, he said, if you don't think that there's anything crazy or, um, or dysfunctional in your family, like, guess what? You are the crazy one. You are the dysfunctional one. Um, you just don't know it yet. And so, um, but we've been kind of talking about what's the vision, the, the picture that God has for our family. And whatever the family unit looks like for you, maybe family unit is this body right here. And that's beautiful. Like God wants us. In fact, Jesus, uh, one time his, his mother and his brother were actually coming up to the door and trying to, to to come talk to Jesus. And, and Jesus said something that was kind of offensive. And like, he wouldn't get up and go to the door, which is like, come on, Jesus, that's disrespectful. And, and Jesus says, my, my, my mother, my brothers and sisters are those that do the will of God. And Jesus was actually redefining the family that, that when we become brothers and sisters in Christ, like we actually have more unity more unity in Christ. And you can probably, some of you can probably feel that. Like I'm actually closer with the people in the body of Christ than I am some of my own family. Um, you know, uh, and, and so we do life together. And so I'm thankful for that. But we've been talking about the vision that God has for our family, that he wants our families to be unified around the vision to, to serve him wholeheartedly, to, to communicate lovingly, and uh, that God wants our families healthy. You know, we've got hurting families, but to kind of get to that place of health, we, we got to have some hard conversations and we got to go through some tough stuff to really get to that place. Last week, we talked about faithfulness and just that God wants our families to be faithful. And today, I want to I wrap this series by talking about grace, by talking about the grace of God and that God wants our families to be graceful. Uh, when you hear that word graceful, like who's the person that comes to mind? I know it's probably not a word you think about a lot. What's the, grace, the most graceful person that kind of comes to mind? For me, it's like Princess Diana, like Princess 
Kate, and it's like, it's all royalty people. I don't know why when I think of the word graceful, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about elegance. I'm talking about that we are filled with God's grace and living in God's grace. And, um, and I've explained it before, but I, I want to do it again to explain what God's grace is. And, and I think it helps to contrast it with mercy to understand what grace is. That, that mercy, I think if I, I'm standing before a judge and I'm guilty uh, of a crime, and, and the reality is that we, we all stand here today guilty. We do. Every last one of us, Romans 3.23 says, all have fallen short of the glory of God. So we're all in the same boat. If you ever feel like you're running alone or you're the only one that's ever messed up, no, no, no. Romans 23.23, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and we're all in need of God's mercy. Um, and, and it's as if we're kind of standing before the judge with a crime we've committed, and, and God, in, in his mercy, um, says, no, no, though we deserve hell, though we deserve the consequences of our own sin, of our own actions, God, God uh, shows his mercy and does not give us hell. But instead he shows us his, his grace. That's mercy and his grace is uh, we don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve that. There's no amount of good doing, no amount of good works that we could actually work our way to heaven. There is no highway to heaven. There is no stairway to heaven to climb our way up through our works. It's only through um, the purchased blood of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus and faith in his finished work that we can obtain salvation and, and experience heaven. And we don't deserve that, no matter how, how good we, we think we are. Um, but God gives us that, and that's his grace. And, and I want to talk to us today on on what we do with that grace and, and how we begin to live. And I want to tell you a story out of the Old Testament um, uh, that, that centers usually around a woman named Ruth. Um, it's in a short book in the Old Testament. If you ever think like, hey, I'd like to read the Bible some more. I'd like to check out a story. And then you go into the Old Testament and you flip to Leviticus and you're like, this is weird, man. And this is like confusing and I don't really know what to do with this. Um, a good place to start in the Old Testament would be the book of Ruth. Um, it's very narrative, and uh, there's only about four uh, chapters, and it's very simple. But it really declares about the redemptive nature of God's love for us. That no matter where you're at today, no matter where your family is today, no matter what your stories look like, one of the phrases we have around here is, God's not finished yet. He's not finished yet. And God in his rich love and mercy and grace wants to pour that out. And though we can't do anything, he wants to redeem our stories for his glory and for his, uh, for his renown. And, and so this story begins, really the story of Ruth really begins with a guy named Elimelech. It's a Hebrew name, so you get these weird names. Elimelech. And Elimelech married a gal named Naomi. And Naomi and Elimelech had two sons. That's kind of like my family. My family was my mom and dad, and there was two brothers, and their two sons actually married two girls. And so Naomi's daughter-in-laws were Orpah, which is spelled like Oprah, but with the P and the R switched. And then, and then the other one, her name is Ruth, who this, this work is, is written um, and surrounded. They just titled it uh, Ruth because she's kind of the, the focal point of what God was doing in, in this story. Uh, and it's a real story. This really happened. And we can follow the bloodline, the genealogies, and I'll, I'll tell you more about that later. Um, but, but as time went on, there was a famine in this area of uh, Moab, uh, which is a tribe of the people of Israel. There was a famine there. And so as time would go on, Elimelech, the dad of the situation, he passed away. 
as did their two children. There was a famine there, and so they were struggling. So whether it was from famine or disease, it's like Oregon Trail. How did they die? Dysentery or something? Like, right? They died somehow, so dad and, and both the sons both passed away. And here Naomi is left with her and her two daughter-in-laws. And, and Naomi experienced such a bitterness and hardness to God because of what she had gone through. In, in, in fact, it gets to a point where Naomi is so bitter. She said, don't even call me Naomi anymore. I don't even want to go by that name. I don't identify with that. Call me Mara, M-A-R-A, which means bitter. Like she began to label herself like that. And if you've been in any of our freedom groups, we've talked about how we've labeled ourselves. We've talked about these labels that we've carried. Naomi, because, or because of what she's been through, the loss she experienced, the pain she was enduring, she was bitter towards God. And, and if you know anything about Jewish kind of history and law and, and their culture, that when a son passed away, um, it, it really became the, the parent's responsibility to go and find them the closest male um, relative to uh, what they call redeem uh, their daughter or daughter-in-law. And uh, which means like, hey, if it was, uh, if, if Naomi had another child, then that child would come and say, hey, will you care for her? I mean, women were not in the workplace. They were not hustling. There were no uh, girl bosses uh, back then, unless they had like, you know, little businesses uh, of their own that their women were not uh, working like. So really, women really struggled in society without uh, a male to take care of them. It was just a different culture and time. And that's kind of hard for us to to get back into that, but that's where it was. So that was a lot of the reasoning for this culture of, of caring for um, uh, women who were uh, alone to make sure they were cared for. Well, um, Naomi was up in her years and, and she's looking at her, her, her daughter-in-laws and she's like, guys, I'm, I'm older. Like I'm not going to have any other kids and there's nobody else around here to, to redeem you, to care for you. So I just encourage you to just go. Just like leave, like I can't take care of you. I, like I'm just gonna just stay here and die. I'm just bitter towards God. And uh, eventually Orpah, she, she's uh, sticking with her, but eventually Orpah says, okay, I'll leave. And so Orpah goes on. But Ruth looks at her and she said, I'm not leaving you. So there was something in Ruth that just said, I'm gonna stay. And she said, I'm gonna go wherever you go. Like we're gonna do this thing together. I'm gonna stick with you and, and your God will be my God. You have to know that Ruth came uh, from uh, an unbelieving family, uh, a dysfunctional family that, that all they did was worship idols where she came. She was from Moab, uh, Moab, and, and it was, if you look into the history of Moab, there was just idol worship, and they had all these gods and, and different idols that they worshiped. And, and here she is, and, and following Naomi, and she says, I want to worship your God, the God of uh, Jacob um, and, and Abraham, and, and I, want, I want to follow you wherever you go. So it, it, they move, and they move to a little town called Bethlehem. Ever heard of it? So they move to this little town of Bethlehem, and we're going to pick up in a story. And they're there struggling to survive, and Ruth is going out, and she's going to pick up grain because Naomi's old. She's like, I'm going to go care for you. I'm going to go take care of us. And so she goes out and begins to pick up grain in a field of a man named Boaz. And we've, again, given you the backstory on Ruth. The rest of the day, I really want to spend our time talking about Boaz and how we can live and follow Boaz's example of the grace that he shows in Ruth's life and how God uses him to be a, a part of a bigger picture. Despite the dysfunction that both Boaz and Ruth came from, God used them to be a part of his redemptive story that he was telling in, in all of creation. So let's turn to Ruth chapter two this morning. 
<clears throat> so she went out and entered a field and began to glean behind the harvester. She was picking up stuff. That's what that means. And as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, uh, who was from the clan of Elimelech, who happens to be her father-in-law, uh, who's passed away. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Who talks to their boss like that? The Lord bless you. The Lord be with you. I mean, it's just... I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe you talk to your boss like that. Um, Boaz asked the overseers of his, uh, the overseer of his harvesters, who uh, does that young woman belong to? And the overseer replied, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. And she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves uh, behind the harvesters. I, I think the first thing that God really wants us to see from this text in learning how to live a graceful life in, in our own life and, and to be families that, that are graceful, I think it's to notice the nobody, to see the nobody as a somebody. Um, because because Ruth was, she was, a, she was just a nobody like picking up scraps in the field. And Boaz, Boaz is this influential, wealthy man who's got all these properties all over the place. And, and he, he's kind of just going to check on his properties as he's going around. He's a man of influence, but he slows down to notice this poor girl that's picking up uh, just the sheaves of, of grain off of the ground and just picking up the scraps. And and if you know anything like the Jewish culture at this time, that was actually written into their law that those that were harvesting the fields that you were supposed to leave the scraps behind for the poor. It was actually a part of Jewish law to care for the poor. So as we vote, um, this, this message isn't getting political, but, but we as the body of Christ, we better be concerned with the poor. We better be concerned with the poor. I'll, I'll read a passage here in just a minute where Jesus is, is saying, like, when do we see the poor? And Jesus said, like, when do we, we see you in prison? All this stuff. And, and he says, I was there all along. Like, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. So, so let's vote with a conscience when it, when it comes to our amendments with those that we put in there with a biblical foundation of caring for the poor because it, it was written into all Jewish law and it's certainly a part of the life that Jesus has called us to. But but Boaz slowed down and he saw the nobody. I think he had enough grace inside of him and enough margin in his life that he wasn't so busy to notice the nobody. And I think in our life, I think that God wants us to notice somebody. He wants us to notice somebody this week that's in our field. The field may be your grocery store. It may be your office park. It may be your neighborhood. It may be in your daycare group. I, I don't know where your field is that God's calling you to see the nobody, but to see them as a somebody. Psalm 139 tells us that God knows us. He knows us in our inmost being, just like we were talking about with these children. God knows us. And there is an image of God that's planted on every single individual. Now, we become, when we become born again and put our faith and trust, then we become sons and daughters of God. But there is an image of God in creation on every single human on this planet. And we are called to see them in that same way. And so, to honor that and to respect that, that each person is a somebody in God's kingdom. God, every person on this planet is a somebody. And so if you've walked in here and just thought, I'm nobody, and you've said it over yourself, just like Naomi said she was bitter, and just call me Mara. If you've said you're a nobody, you're not a nobody. God sees you. Boaz, his character, the kinsman redeemer, is really a picture of God's love for you and me. 
That's the picture that we have, that, that nobody, even if we're kind of picking up scraps, and God, God doesn't lose us. He, he sees us. He sees us right where we're at. And so I want to challenge, challenge you this week, tomorrow, this afternoon. Who do you see? Who, who do you see? Like who is in front of you? Who's in your field? And lean in. Let's continue reading the story and see what God would speak to us today. Uh, she came uh, into the field and, and, and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. She's been working hard. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I think it's not, the, the first grace that we can show someone, the first grace is to just see them and to know them. People are dying to be told. And, and it's, it's kind of a, a double-edged sword, which people don't really want to know. We don't really want to be known because we're afraid of what that might look like. We're afraid of, of what God might do in that. We're afraid that we won't be accepted. We might be rejected. And on the other side, that ooh, we're afraid. That's the double edge. Like they're, they're, and, and then we're afraid that we won't be rejected if we extend love, if we show grace, that it won't be uh, received. And, and here, um, Boaz sets an example for us to not just see and notice uh, somebody in the field but to lean in and invite them to stay, to invite them to stay. In, in a couple of weeks, we're literally doing an event called The Table that we want you to invite people to the table to come and to stay and to develop a relationship. I think about what God's done in many of your lives over the past year or two years and three years. And, and though God's power is incredible and can change a life in a moment's time and just all of your future just seems to just open up in front of you and all of your past seems to be healed. Um, there's also power in staying. There's a power in consistency in what God does through the staying power of our relationships. And I think with all of our missional relationships, both global and local, we want to create relationships with staying power. And so when God brings someone across your path, take it to the next level and, and, and say, hey, even if it's a stranger in, in the grocery store, hey, like I, let's get coffee sometime, you know, something like that. Don't be a creeper. Like, don't be weird. Nobody likes that weird Christian person. Don't be that person. Um, but a genuine commitment to reach into to, to, uh, someone's heart and life and, and just uh, meet them where they're at. I think we see right here, there's a real commitment to the redemptive work of God in other people, that I actually want to be used, that I believe that God could use me. And I think across this room, like we're, we're afraid to invite anyone further because we, we don't really know where to go. We, we don't really know where to point, know what to do. But it's through the relationship. It's through the overflow of what's inside of you. There is grace inside of Boaz to be able to pour that out, to not just notice, notice Ruth, but to invite her to stay. There is an overflow taking place in which he wanted uh, her to stay. And you could look on this and be like, he had other intentions because eventually they'll get married. She'll actually pursue him and they'll get married and he'll be her redeemer. Spoiler alert. Um, but I'm, I'm reminded of this text where uh, Jesus is, um, where, where Jesus is getting ready to uh, institute the Lord's Supper, the new covenant. And uh, a woman comes uh, before him, and, and she, uh, she pours out this jar of expensive perfume and anoints Jesus' feet. 
And the disciples are looking on. They're like, that's ridiculous. We should have used that expensive oil. Like, if you want to donate it, great. Let's use it for the poor. And Jesus chastises the disciples and says, hey, you're always going to have the poor with you. But me, you won't always have with you. And so he, he was calling them to embrace his presence. Um, and, and the scriptures go on to teach us about how to care for the poor um, in our life. And, and I think many of us, have, as we go out tomorrow and, and we see someone who's hurting or hungry and we kind of f- try to find a Ruth, like who's the nobody, who's the person that's thirsty, who's hungry, and, and we might say, I don't, I don't see anybody. Like everybody seems to be doing okay. Everybody seems to be doing okay. And the, the reality is uh, even those that driving the nicest cars and living in the biggest houses and, and look like they all got all together, they're, they're hurting. Um, what meets the eye is not what's really going on. And, and so uh, approach it with that. Uh, I, Jesus, um, in Matthew 25, he, he tells the disciples this. Uh, he says, I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me, Matthew 25, 36 through 40. Whatever you did for the least of these. And so I'm calling us to see the somebodies out there who are hurting and calling us to see and commit ourselves to the redemptive work of God, not just in our life, not just in our circle, but in our city. Like we get to be a part of the redemptive work of God because of the grace that he has poured in and living a graceful life and being as a graceful family is about seeing beyond that, teaching our children to see beyond ourselves because eventually they'll find just our, our purpose in carrying on the mission of um, God, it's, it's living the, the long haul, living for the long haul, living for the redemptive story of God. Uh, the scripture goes on. Let's continue reading. She came into a field and we'll pick up halfway down. I told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. And at this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor? It's also the same word for grace there. Such grace or favor in your eyes that you notice me, right? Grace favor. I, like, I don't even deserve this, like, that you are taking special attention and making sure that people protect me and care for me and that I have my needs met. And I think God wants to speak something into our life today about the type of grace that we're supposed to be living with for the hurting and for the hungry in our city, for the thirsty in our city. Um, and it's to care for the needs of the, the hurting and the hungry. Uh, that, that's our responsibility because of this grace to whom much has been given, much is required. Too much is given, much is, is required. We're to be caring for the needs of, of the hurting and the hungry. And I get it. I get it. As we look around, it can be overwhelming. You're like, I can't do everything for everybody. I remember the story. It's the story, and maybe you've heard of it. There was this woman who was walking on a beach shore in which all these starfish, I mean, there was probably a thousand starfish that had washed up on the shore. That's like a dream, right? To see that, I'm like, oh, there's amazing starfish. I'm gonna take them home and kill them. Um, let them die. Uh, but, you know, she's walking along and she didn't have that desire. Come on, you know you wanna take the starfish home and kill it. You probably would. Okay. Um, meanwhile, back at the ranch. Um, 
But this woman begins to walk on the beach and she's picking up one starfish at a time and she's tossing it back in the ocean. And then like, she's like a Frisbee, just tossing them back in. And this, this gentleman walks up to her and he's like, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. There's like literally thousands of starfish out here. You're never going to save them all. You're never going to be able to help them all. And she picks up another one. She goes, yeah, but I helped that one. Yeah, but I helped, I helped that one. I helped that one. It's just about doing for one what we wish we could do for everyone. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. We can't. We can't. There's, there's always going to be the poor. There's always going to be hurting and hungry. So it, it, we're not the Savior. We're not the answer. We point people to Jesus, but we are called with the grace that we've been given to what's been given. It's required that we pass it on. We're called to pass that on and to care for the needs of the hurting and the hungry. And, and you've heard it said, uh, or you've heard me say it in recent days, that 90% of what a pastor is called to do, a shepherd is called to do, we're all called to do. And, and two of those things, when I think of the term shepherd or pastor, two of those things is to protect. Uh, a shepherd will care for it and to protect it from predators. A shepherd will also lead the sheep to water and, and to feed and to make sure they're cared for. And look at what Boaz does here. He, he does that. He's caring for this woman, just like a, a good shepherd to come along and make sure nobody's going to lay a hand on you. I've already told those boys, they better keep their hands off of you. They better stay away from you. Um, and to make sure that you've got whatever you need. You've got water here. He'll eventually invite her to some food as well. But God has called us to do the same thing. We're called to protect people. We're called to care and meet needs. Um, and so I want you to begin to even see yourself differently. And I, I know you look up here and that's Pastor Kyle and that's his role, that's his calling, his whatever. But we're all called to protect. And if it, if it helps you, just begin to see you as the pastor, the shepherd of your neighborhood. You're, you're the shepherd of your block. You're the, the shepherd of your family. You, you're the shepherd of your office complex, your cubicle cluster or whatever. You're the shepherd in there that God has planted to go and to protect somebody. So when somebody's trying to, to tear somebody down, when he's trying to talk about, down about the image of God that's created in there, when you hear uh, blaspheming words or, or rude words or racist words that will speak up and will speak into that and protect the image of God that's in their life, that we carry that grace forward um, and, and when we see a, an opportunity where someone's hurting and hungry, despite what they look like on the outside, despite if it looks like they've got everything together, we see the need, and we know there's a hunger. We know there's a thirst there for purpose, for meaning, um, for eternity, for salvation. And we go beyond our own, you know, uh, just comfort level, and we step out of that, and we speak life into it. And we meet a need, if it's physical, if it's emotional, if it's spiritual, if we can meet that need in some way, we do it. Because just like Jesus said, when do we see the poor? When do we see you in prison? When you did it to the least of these. That's when you did it. And so we make the most of those opportunities. So I just challenge you, not only see them, but commit yourself to the long haul, walking that out with them. And in the ongoing process, see yourself that I'm here to care for needs. I'm here to protect uh, those that God has put in my field, that God's put in my flock, whether that's your children, that's your extended family, that's your church family, your work family. You see yourself as a shepherd in that environment uh, to lead them uh, in, in the gracefulness that God has placed in your life. Uh, let's continue, and we'll finish out the text here. <clears throat> Boaz replied, he, 
Um, I've been told, she's like, why, why? I'm not even worthy of this. Why are you doing this? He said, I've been told about all you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. And may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor or grace in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here. Have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. He invited her into a place that she didn't feel like she was worthy of. And he spoke over her encouraging words that she says put her at ease by kindly speaking to her. If you've been in any of our freedom groups, we've been talking about the power of life and death in the past couple of weeks. And there's power in what we say. You know, encouragement, what I've found in my life, because I'm not a natural encourager, I actually feel like I'm probably more naturally critical than I am naturally encouraging. I'm going to raise my hand because that's me. Does anybody else like struggle with that? I'm more naturally critical. I'm just, I'm the first one up. Okay. A couple of you willing to be honest, um, got a few liars in the room and the rest of you guys, I mean, I'm just kidding, are great at it. No, um, no I, I, it's a struggle for me. And it's been something, my wife, I, I don't know that she's, I don't know if she would claim it's natural. I believe she has a supernatural gift that God has blessed her with a supernatural gift to, to be an encourager. It's just so easy for it's so natural. I've had to train my tongue I, and God's had to, to mold and shape my heart to, to speak positively about others um, and, and to bring encouragement into their life. But it's so freeing. And it's so good. And what I want God to shape us with in this season, what I want God uh, to do in us in this season is to call us out to not only see the people, not only to commit for the, the long term to care for needs, but also from our mouth. To care for them with our mouth by speaking encouraging words. She was a long way from home. She was a long, she was lonely. She was going through stuff that Boaz had no idea when he first, first stopped and noticed her. He had no idea what was going on. And I bet when God puts somebody in your path this week and you just stop and you notice them and you commit to do it for the long haul, like actually start a relationship and care for that, the needs of, of your family or that person, God's going to begin to stir something and, and create opportunities for you to speak life, to be an encouraging. That will be, be such kindness to your soul. And what I've noticed and what I've learned in this process, it's, so, it's not only freeing, it's free. It costs us nothing. We think that it costs us something. Uh, when actually it doesn't cost us something, it actually earns us a lot. It earns us, first of all, their respect and their love, right? We never want to use that as manipulation, but that's the reality. It does. Uh, but more deeply and more powerfully, what it does is, is it begins to change us through the process. I begin to practice encouragement when I was still a very critical person. And it began to change my heart as I forced myself to do it. I forced myself into that. And I, I trained myself to be able to see the good, to call out the good, to celebrate the good, and, and to bless people. And it changed me. And so we get way more. It doesn't cost anything. It's free and it's freeing for what it does in our life. And so I'm challenging you to be a relentless encourager, Boaz was. He's walking into the field, blessing people. He's walking out, blessing Ruth, speaking this blessing over her life. And maybe you don't even get a chance to say it, or you feel like if I say it, they're just gonna be weirded out and it's gonna be awkward. And I, don't, I haven't really figured that out yet. Maybe you just wanna pray a prayer, an encouraging prayer. Like, or it's just, hey man, I'm praying for you. 
man, I'm praying for you. And like actually mean it and like actually go pray. Don't just be like, I'm praying for you and then don't pray. Like that's kind of hypocrisy. <laughs> um, so, so actually praying for, for people and actually leaning in and, and being an encouragement. Uh, what's interesting, as you begin to look into the, the historical story here, and the band can come and, and begin to lead a, uh, get ready to lead us in a song, but if we look into these stories, we look into the life of Boaz um, and look into the life of Ruth. Do you know who Boaz's mom was? Boaz's mom was Rahab the prostitute. So if you look into the Old Testament, there's this story um, about these spies that are going to to, to, to look over the hill, and, and Rahab the prostitute is actually the one who, who um, protects them. Boaz's mom was a protector. She had a dysfunctional past. In fact, Boaz might have come out of her years of prostitution. It's possible. We don't, we don't know that for sure, but it's, it's probably pretty likely that he came from that type of uh, dysfunction. But you know what? In Hebrews chapter 13, there's this whole listing of great people in the faith. It's like a, a chapter, to just, they call it the hall of faith, like the hall of fame. It's like the hall of faith. There's like, they're celebrating Abraham and, and Moses and Gideon and Elijah and, and all these incredible men, like stalwarts of the faith. And you know who else is listed in that? Boaz's prostitute mom, Rahab. Because she was a woman of faith that had come from dysfunction. And she passed that on to her son, who here, his faith, the grace that he had received, that he, he's, he's probably not that far along in the journey. He's just one generation removed from his mom, you know, living there. He probably didn't know his dad. And he's walking through this, and now he's encouraging others. He's investing in someone else's life. And what an impact he has on this woman, Ruth. Because Ruth will begin to pursue as she sees, hey, maybe this, he's related to me. He could be my kinsman redeemer and she begins to politely pursue him so ladies can I pursue a guy single ladies in the room can I pursue a guy or should he pursue me? Ruth did she went and laid at his feet and like said hey like what's up dude how you doing you know um so Ruth did it if Ruth could do it I guess you could do it so um sorry that was random um but but there's this redemptive quiet in, in which she is redeemed they end up getting married and she's redeemed and her, her family's taken care of. So Boaz's story is incredibly redemptive in how that's passed on. Um, and so when Boaz and Ruth would get married, they would end up having a child and his name would be Obed. And then Obed would have a child and his name would be Jesse. And Jesse would have a child and his name would be David. King David. The greatest king that the Jews have ever seen the star of David, in the city of David. The city they're, they're in, Bethlehem, would be called the city of David. And named after a legacy that was so dysfunctional, that looked like it was over with, that, that looked like there was no hope. She's literally picking up grain off of the ground to feed her mother-in-law, just hoping to survive. But God wasn't finished yet. And God's not finished with you either. He's not finished with you. He's not done. He's, he's writing a redemptive story. And if he's already begun that or he's beginning that work today, I just want to tell you that we're called to, to do something with the grace that's inside of us. We're called to slow down and first of all, create some margin to notice the people. 
notice that everyone is a somebody. There's no nobodies in this world, no matter what their baggage and their story looks like. They're a somebody. Uh, to, to come alongside and actually have a relationship, not pass a sandwich out and then peace out, but to prayerfully engage in our community, engage in our field, engage in the field that God has called us to and positioned us to shepherd, to reach out and care for the needs of the hungry and the hurting. And I'm not just talking about our immediate family, I'm talking about the city, that God's called us to lead in our city and caring for the hurting and the hungry to be relentless encouragers along the way because the reality is that we all need it. We all need it. We all need it. My, my hope, my dream for our church is just seeing this, seeing this lived out, seeing this lived out in each one of your lives. And, and when I say seeing this, I, I think some of this stuff we won't see till eternity. We'll look back and we'll see that, man, you labored from not knowing your father, but you were faithful in your field and God brought you a Ruth and you guys gave birth to a king and you didn't even know it. And there you gave in your, in your lineage. And, and all through this lineage is the line of Jesus. Jesus came from this, this same genealogy. Look it up in Matthew chapter one, the whole genealogy is spelled out all the way through. And it's incredible, and God wants to use us. And so I want to invite you to stand. I want us to pray. I want us to search our heart and ask what God uh, might be speaking to us in this moment. That he might be speaking to us this morning to first of all receive the redeeming grace that's from him and him alone. To receive that. And remember, grace is not something that we've earned. It's receiving something that we haven't earned. We don't, we're not worthy. We're not worthy of God's unconditional love. We're not worthy, but he makes us worthy and he calls us worthy. And so maybe you, like Naomi, have attached a label over your life like bitter because of what you've been through or screw up or whatever it might be in your life. And, and God wants to bring that off. He wants to redeem your story today. He wants to redeem it not only for you and for your sake, but for our city's sake, for the next generation's sake. He wants to redeem it. And so I just, I call you out of your, your busyness of your schedule, out of the comfort zone of your personality, out of our own giftings to, to see the need in our city, to see the need in the field that God's called you to, and to be faithful, to be an encourager, and to carry that grace forward to the coming generations. Let's pray today. God, I thank you that you're faithful. I thank you that you're good. I, I thank you that you see us. You see us when we're so broke and broke down, God, that we're just picking up scraps from wherever we can find it off a Facebook post or from the random stranger. We're just trying to make it through, God. You see us in the midst of our brokenness. And you're not done writing our story, God. You'll finish the work that you've started in us, God. You'll finish it in our generation. You'll finish it in generations to come. But God, like we said last week, we just want to be faithful, God. We know that compound faithfulness is, there's power in it, God. There's power and there's staying power when grace is just poured out daily, when it's poured out over time, God. 
And we just want to be faithful, God, to shepherd our city, to shepherd our office, to shepherd our classroom, to, to, to shepherd our block, God, to protect and care for the image of God on every single person, for the needs that are there, God. Help us, God, just loosen our lips to speak life, God. Tighten our lips, God, when we're prone to speak death. God, loosen, speak life that it might bring warmth and kindness to somebody's soul. And it would just be a reminder, God, of your love and your grace that you have a plan for their life. And it's your kindness that leads us to repentance today. God, I pray for anyone in the room, God, that maybe we've been walking and we're just kind of doing this thing on our own and maybe we've grown hard to the hurting and the, and the hopeless and the hungry and the thirsty in our, in our city and our world, God, and it's just so much. I can't handle it. God, would you soften our hearts today? God, maybe for somebody in the room that's just running at such a pace that I just don't have time. I just don't have time to slow down. There's no margin. My budget, there's no margin in my schedule to slow down and see anybody. God, would you just, would you break that up in our hearts this morning that we can be faithful, God, that, to be a part of your redemptive plan, your redemptive work in the world, in this city, God? God, for the person that says, I'm a nobody, God, the person that says, I can't be used, God, would you shape us to see ourselves as you see us? That we can be used to protect and to care. We can be used to speak life to bring grace to hurting people, to be a part of your redemptive plan. God, lead us on. Speak to us in this next song, God, as we just open our hearts and say, God, speak. We're listening. Would you have your way in our life, God? Lead